So we've got uh, this week, and, and I'm excited about this week. I've, I've, I was excited about last weekend. Let's just start there. We had a great crowd for Easter. Uh, there was so much going on, and uh, I've heard lots of great stories. And again, uh, at the beginning of service, we were talking about that. We've heard just some great testimonies of things that God did over this Easter week. And I even got some emails from people in the church who took the challenge the week leading up to Easter Holy Week, where the challenge was to share your faith with somebody every single day. And I got uh, one guy sent me a, an email, and he ended up sitting next to, I don't know, there, a government official um, from New Jersey on a flight across the country. And he just said, well, I guess this is the person I'm supposed to share my faith with. And the gal um, wrote him an email and just said, hey, I want you to know that our conversation not only changed the way I I'm looking at things when I get home, but has really caused me to stop and reevaluate the serious nature of my faith and, and how seriously I take my relationship with the Lord. Thank you for sharing, right? And I got that, and I was fired up because there are Christians back over there, and it's great, and we're so pumped to, to know that. And, and so those kind of things have been coming across uh, over the last few weeks, and I get the benefit of seeing and hearing a lot of those things, and that's exciting to me, but I don't think everybody collectively gets to do that. I hope you're finding those stories individually. I hope that you are finding things taking place in your life uh, where you're recognizing that God is holy and fully at work in your life. Um, This series that we're starting, I'm calling it Vivid. And the reason we're calling it vivid is because uh, we have to start seeing the world differently after Easter. So Easter happens every year. You guys are aware of that, right? Like, it's, it's every year. We celebrate Easter, kind of like Christmas. And, and all people show up, and they get wrapped around the big idea of He is risen and is good. And, but sometimes, I've got to be honest with you, in my 40 years of uh, doing Easter's and Christmases, there are moments, while even though I'm a pastor, that I sit down and I think, but what difference is it going to make? It's hard because as a pastor in a church, you know, you want people to be fired up and, and I get ready for Easter and, and everything is going really well and people are like, he is risen and we show up. But then Monday, you still have the same spreadsheets due. You still have the same products to sell. You still have the same work to get done. There's still the same illnesses and sicknesses and treatments that have to be done. There's still all those things. And we've had this one glorious weekend, and it's awesome, and it's wonderful, and it's, it's so great. But it's hard for us to then realize that that day, that celebration, is supposed to reignite our fire and our passion for the Lord. So the way we're doing this is we're going to take a look into the text of Scripture, starting tonight with John chapter 21, which we just heard read, which again, great job. Thank you for helping out with that. Um, You're going to see a lot more of Josie, and she's got so many other hilarious stories. And if you want to follow, she also gives great commentary on Survivor on Facebook, by the way. So uh, anyway, but we're going to start with John chapter 21, and then we're going to follow the apostles. We're going to follow Jesus' followers to see what happened after his death, burial, and resurrection. 
We're going to just take some steps and, and do some studies on individuals, but just walk through the, the, the text to really say, okay, so what did happen and how should that affect us today? John chapter 21 has a lot of themes running through it. And, and I'm going to ask my friend John in the back, if you'll just kind of keep running through these and keep up with me, um, I'll, I'll let you run those back there tonight. It says that later Jesus appeared to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. Now, the reason it's saying later uh, is because he had already appeared two different times. This was the third appearance of Christ to the disciples. And as he was kind of on his way to the, he- the Father in glory, which you can read at the end of Matthew, there's a great section where he gives the great commission and, and we follow that through. He's revealing himself to his disciples. And, and later on, there will be testimony after testimony after testimony of those who said, no, we saw it with our own eyes. We were with him. We knew this. We can testify to this truth. In 1 John chapter 1, the, the writer of the, the gospel of John says, I'm telling you these things because I've seen them. I'm not telling you because I heard about it. I'm telling you because I've seen it. I was there. And so it says he appeared on the seashore of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were together. And I started thinking, okay, so let's talk about the people that were gathered together. The first one was Simon Peeper. Peter. Peeper. That's funny. If we, Mr. Okay. Um, Simon. Ah. Uh, and, then, and Simon Peter, obviously, he plays a big role in this story, and we'll continue on. Um, I think Peter liked to be listed first, and we found out last week as we were talking that John, he liked to list Peter and then kind of make fun of him as he went on. It was kind of like, uh, you know, big brother, little brother thing. Um, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Didymus is uh, what would have been seen otherwise. Now, this is Thomas who said, I'm not going to believe until I see it. And I'm not going to believe until he lets me see his hands and put my hand in his side. Which again, this week I got out a tri-tip and I was holding it. And I thought, why would anyone want to touch the inside, right? I'm like, ugh, nasty, right? And so he said, I'm not going to believe it until not only do I see it, but I'm going to reach inside the wound. And Jesus came and, and when he appeared to him, I love it. Like he said, hey, Look at my hands. Get up in there, bro. Right? He said, take a look at this. And, and you can see this Thomas had kind of latched himself in with the group. And, and he wasn't doubting anymore. In fact, I mentioned last week that he went on to become a martyr in India, which is kind of a crazy deal, just tracking that whole time and distance and span and what that would have meant. But Thomas was not an unbeliever, that is for sure. Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, if you read John chapter 5, you can go back and find the whole story of where Nathaniel actually showed up as a disciple. It's pretty cool. There's a pretty cool story. His brother went and found him. He said, no, 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 I got to go get my brother. And because Jesus was calling people and he said, I, I'm not going to do this alone. So he went and got his brother. That's kind of a cool deal. Um, and then the sons of Zebedee, uh, and then two other disciples. Now, sons of Zebedee, John would have been one of those, and he uh, obviously does He likes to list himself in the third person, 
right? It's kind of funny. Um, but, but, and then the final one, two other disciples, which those poor guys, I just feel like John had some vendetta against people as he was writing the text, but he was like, and then there's two other guys, you know, yeah, those guys, right? And so it's kind of like an episode of Star Trek, you know, the two nameless people, they get picked off right away, and no, I'm just kidding, that's not really what happened, but uh, that the list of the people there, they're just gathered together, and they're kind of, they're trying to figure out what's going on. They're trying to figure out, okay, okay, so we're at Galilee, here we are, and I can just picture them kind of sitting on the seashore, like, what do we do? Where do we go? And then, of course, you got Peter, he's the antsy one. Anybody have that friend that you go on vacation with that can't just chill? Like, some people just have no chill. They just don't know how to turn it down, right? And so, like, you go on vacation, and for me, I want to lay down. I told you guys, we went to Hawaii, just Cindy and I, and I slept for like two days. I didn't even, I was like, whoa, and it wasn't induced by anything. It just was, I was tired, right? And, and for some people, though, you get them in a place, and everything's quiet for a few minutes, and they're like, we got to go. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? So you can kind of picture Peter as that guy, right? And he's throwing rocks and skipping them. I got 12 skips. How about you, right? Like all those kind of things, kind of turning it in. And then you hear Peter say, I'm, I'm going fishing. Now, I want to stop right there and just think about this. Now, if I was to tell you I'm going fishing, you're going to picture me with my little pole and my little happy self, probably at the lakes where they can, you can catch the catfish real quick and easy, right? Like on the little motorboat, you know, doing my little thing. That's, that's me. Now, Peter, this is a whole nother deal. Now, let's just put it in another term. If I were to tell Cindy one day, um, hey, Sen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go play basketball. She would probably look at me and think, like, who, like, what bet did you lose? Or who talked you into it? Because well, I kind of quit playing basketball when I quit growing. That's when I realized this is as much as I'm going to get, so I'm going to retire to something that I can actually accomplish uh, is something in, right? And so um, she would look at me and be like, okay, cool, put your shorts on, have a great day, you know, go do your thing. But there was a difference in the 90s. There was a guy who quit playing basketball, and it rocked the world. And he decided he was going to play baseball for a while. Michael Jordan, right? And he went off. He lost his mind. He had a whole bunch of other stuff going on in this world. He went and played ba- well, tried to play baseball for a little while. And then there was this press conference, and they said, oh, everybody's got to tune in. Everybody's got to see this. And there was this press conference, and he announced, I'm going to play basketball. Now, that sent shockwaves throughout the NBA, that sent shockwaves throughout sports, that sent shockwaves throughout Nike, which their stock just went crazy off the charts again, right? Because now the best that's ever been is saying, I'm going to play basketball again. He's back, right? Okay, so for me to say, I'm going finish fishing, not a big deal. But, but for Peter to be looking out at the water and to say, I'm going to go fishing. I'm going back. It wasn't just a little thing like to go say, I'm going to go have some fun. I'm going to go relax. I'm going to, because they weren't relaxing. They were fishing all night. And to fish all night and not catch anything, that makes you mad. Especially if you're a professional fisherman. And you know that you've been fishing all night so that the next morning you can have some money in your pocket so that you can go and provide for your family and their welfare. So you've got Peter saying, look, 
I'm going fishing. And there's so much behind that. There's so much behind it because you guys know the story. Not too long before, Peter had been sitting by a campfire waiting to see Jesus come along and somebody said, hey, weren't you there with him? No, 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 I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. And he kind of huddled up into the corner a little bit, you know, by himself. No, 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 I, I think I remember you being there. No, I don't know who you're, I don't even know this guy. And it says a third time, a little girl calls him out and says, no, I know you were with him. And so Peter, in response to being called out to say, you were with this guy, how he proves he had never been with him, he says, I've never been with him. And he started cussing like he would have before he met Jesus on that boat fishing with the boys. And they said, well, whew, you definitely were with him. You're, you're nothing like what we thought you were. So behind Peter's dismissal to go fishing, there was very much more. He knew he had let down the cause. He knew that this is not going to be something that he was going to be able to carry out. Without Jesus there helping him, measuring him, monitoring, make sure everything was going to be okay, I just can't do this on my own. That's the mindset. And for a lot of us, I think we have this big pump up, like Easter, woo, pumped up, way to go, right? And then we still have to go back to Monday. And we realize, and this is, this is, all this stuff is very complicated. All this stuff is very hard. It's not easy to be a follower of Christ and do all the things that I know I'm supposed to be doing and to lead my family and to lead the people around me and be encouraged to tell the story of Jesus and, and all of those things. Ah, I, there's just life to live. I think we're all a little bit of Peter where we'd like to just say, you know what, I'm just going to take a break. I'm just going to put it away. I'm just not going to deal with it for now. I'll get back to it when I have a better chance. When I have a better opportunity. When, when, when the kids are done with this, then that's when we'll get back to it. When we're done with some of these, we're just so tired. That's when we'll get back to it. Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. And the rest of the boys pile in the boat with him. Now there's something good about Jesus showing up on the shore and the first thing he says, Hey guys, caught anything? I still love that, that throughout text, Jesus jacks around with people. He knows, right? I mean, you guys remember the story, too, where he's walking down the road. There's a couple guys, and they're talking on the road to Emmaus. They're talking, and they're talking about what had just happened in the city, how Jesus had been crucified, and there was all this tumultuous stuff going on. And Jesus appears, and from behind, he says, hey, what you talking about? And the risen Savior shows up and starts walking with them, and they're like, don't you know? And then they start telling him all the stories about uh, how he had just been crucified, and he never lets them on to it, right? And then he gets all the way, seven miles they walk together, and he finally gets to the house, and then he messes around with them a little bit more, and he's like, okay, guys, have a good day. You know, say hi to your wives for me or whatever, and he's walking. No, 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 stay with us. So he's acting like he's walking, walk, 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 walk away. I don't know what just happened. Some Elmer Fudd thing just happened. <laughs> it just went. I just couldn't stop it. God, God. And then they got in the tent, and, and it, it, this is my favorite part. 
And it says they're sitting there, and like Jesus prays over the meal, and then he breaks the bread, and all of a sudden he's like, by the way, I'm Jesus. Gone. And those guys are like, so then they're like, oh, geez, now we got to go seven miles back. They go running. We just saw him. He was just here like seven miles. We didn't, we were a little slow. What about when he showed up to Mary? I talked about that last week at the tomb. Like, he, he says, why are you crying? And she thinks he's a gardener. Why? Because I think he was messing around with her, right? Like, he wasn't like, why are you crying, ma'am? He's probably like playing in the bushes, right? Hey, hey, hey what's going on? Why, why are you crying over there? Uh, just leave me alone is more of the response. Like, ah, oh, come on, man. I got other things going on. Okay, all right. I'll just mind my own. And then he goes, Mary, what? Right? It's almost as if Jesus is just waiting around every corner for us and going, it's about me, right? And we go, oh, yeah, 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 okay, oh, yeah, we'll get back to you. And then when we finally realize what's going on, he goes, now, now do it, have a good day. The thing for us is as we look through this scripture, we see a Jesus who loves his friends. And then he starts doing something that's totally crazy to me. He starts replaying the first day they met. Because if you read Luke chapter 5, the day that Peter met Jesus, he was fishing. And they hadn't caught anything. And Jesus appeared to them and said, have you caught anything? And they said, no. And he said, well, why don't you take your nets a little bit deeper? And the same response was, don't, we're fishermen, but whatevs? And they threw their nets down deeper, and they came up with so many fish that it began to burst their nets. Isn't it ironic? Isn't it interesting that, that Jesus then reappears after his resurrection and calls out, have you caught anything? Why don't you throw your net on the other side of the boat? And somewhere in these guys' heads, there's got to be like, I have heard that somewhere before. Right? They're kind of like, oh no, he didn't, right? And as soon as they throw it over, it says that John recognizes first, right? Oh my gosh, it's Jesus, right? And then Peter, apparently, Peter's a naked fisherman, which is weird. Because I don't see, I, until I read this over and over again, I never saw it like super cool that you go out on the boat with a bunch of dudes and get naked and start fishing. Like, but apparently that's the way we go. And I thought it was weird too. Like it said, he put on his clothes and then jumped in the water. Because in every movie I've ever saw, or I've ever seen people when they're going to rescue somebody, they take off their clothes and jump in the water. But apparently you can swim better with a robe on. I don't know. So he throws on his clothes and he jumps in. Now I do like that John follows it up to say, we were only like three rows away from the shore, by the way, right? <laughs> Like if you're a CrossFitter and they told you to do a 100-calorie row, no prob. We got that. Like three pulls. You can knock that out, right? And so, and some of you are like, I don't do that. That's okay. Let it pass, all right? This is for everyone. So the big picture is, though, he says, by the way, we were really close to the shore. By the time he got there and his whole giddy-up, right, we were there, and we brought the nets. I think he was just trying to keep out of work. But the guys, their whole mentality was starting to shift. And Jesus was replaying the instance, replaying the story. 
Remember when we first met and everything was bright and amazing? And remember, like, you had a new life and it was fresh and you'd never heard anything like this before? I'm back. It says that Peter came up to the shore and what did they find there on the shore? A charcoal fire. Now, fire is mentioned a bunch of times in Scripture. A charcoal fire is only mentioned two times in Scripture. The first time it's mentioned, Peter is warming himself by a charcoal fire with a group of people he doesn't know waiting for Jesus to come and be judged. And it's by the side of a charcoal fire that Peter denies Christ three times. It's interesting that as he drags himself in his full clothes, now wet, he comes up and he sits down at the fire, and there's got to be something in Peter's head that goes, hold on, I remember that smell. You ever had that moment where like a smell brings back like crazy memories? There's certain things that it's like it just hits Peter's sitting next to the very fire that cost him his calling. The last time he sat at a charcoal fire, he did things he never thought he would do. He denied his Christ. Remember? This is the same Peter who said, no, Lord, I would never do that. I'm better than everyone. I'm stronger. I'm, I can do this. No problem. This is that Peter tried to fight off some guys with a fishing knife one time. And they had two swords, but he chose his fishing knife. He's going to fillet them or something. I don't know what the deal was. Remember the whole thing? This is violent Peter who whacked away. He was trying to kill a centurion, but instead he just nicked the guy's ear. Not a guy who pre-plans a lot, all right? But Peter, impetuous as he is, Peter, as emotional in response as he is, Peter, passionate about his Savior as he is, is sitting by a charcoal fire. Not yet fully knowing what to do. As it goes on in the text, it says they came up and Jesus says, bring the fish that you've brought. I've got some here, but not, let's eat together. Now people will wonder, like, Jeff, how come you guys eat every time you have a service around here? One, because I enjoy eating. All right, let's just be real. Two, because I look at this text and you realize two of the three times that Jesus appears to his disciples after his resurrection, he eats. Now he eats fish. I prefer tri-tip and such. But, um, but, but I will tell you, that's part of the deal. The guys are going, yeah, the girls all said that he's risen. He's, you know, he's come back. We're not so sure. And the next thing you know, Jesus walks in the room and goes, hey guys, what's going on? Let's have some fish. Nom, nom, nom. And as he goes on, you see that this becomes something that Jesus is very, very concerned about meeting the needs of the physical bodies as well as the spiritual and emotional needs of the people who are near him. We can continue to go through this, but there's a key element in here where he begins to ask Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, scholars over the years have had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of debate about what Jesus meant. Was he saying, do you love me more than these fish? Because remember, Peter ran back to the fish. 
Jesus had called them to sheep, people, and he chose to go back to the fish. Do you love me more than these? That's, that's one perspective. The other one is, do you love me more than these guys around the circle? I don't know. Peter was probably looking like, well, I love you more than him, that's for sure. And you should have heard what he said yesterday, so I'm positive about that guy. And John, he just thinks he loves you more. But, Or maybe even something more global for him to understand. Of all the disciples, would you still say that you love me the most? Whatever the cause, Jesus was asking. Whatever the perspective you want to take on that and whichever theologian you want to follow, here's what we're saying. is He zeroed in on Peter and he said, do you still love me as much as you said you love me? Well, yeah, I do. And then one after another, he says, then take care. Then feed. Then love the flock. And he asked him how many times? How many times did Peter denied him? Magic, right? No. It's just the way that Jesus works. He knows us. I wonder if Jesus had only asked him twice, would Peter have been sitting in his room one night going, I wonder if that was real. Because I denied him three times and he only asked me twice. Maybe there's some hint of doubt, some sense of question mark in his head. We get those. That's kind of our deal in life, honestly, is we have these big moments with God, and then we backtrack to where we go, yeah, but was that for sure? The faith that it takes to go out and say, we want to start translating Scripture into text so that people can read it from places that don't even have an alphabet now, I don't even know what that looks like, honestly. That's so outside my realm of understanding. And yet there had to have been some moments where Wayne and Crystal are hanging out, and right before they go to sleep, one of them goes, do you think this is what we're really supposed to be doing? Ah, let's sleep on it. For, for so many of us, we have this thought in our head or we'll be going down through the day and, and we kind of get this little something in our heart that says, you know what, you need to stop and, and talk to that person about me or you need to pray with them or let me put you on mission here. And we go like, okay, okay. And then we get right up to them and we, never mind. How many times do we do that? And it was as if in this moment, Jesus was saying, Peter, I'm going to remove all doubt from your mind. I'm going to start by refilling your nets like I did the very first time we met. I'm going to bring you to the fire that you denied me by. And I'm going to ask you face to face, so look me in the eye and rekindle your love for me again. I know what you said before. I know the vulgarity you used. I know the passion way that you said you didn't know who I was, but I'm giving you another shot. Peter, do you love me? So this whole idea of this vivid understanding, this next series is, is saying, if you could see, and what we will look at is where Peter goes after this, where John goes after this, where these apostles go after this experience. And it's into something 
completely different that they never had pictured before. And God sending them into places to do things that they could never have put together themselves. Peter began to live a different life that day. Now here's the funny one that he kind of caps it off with. Peter goes, yeah, but what about him? I know, okay, so he's telling him he's going to be crucified. He's going to have a horrible death just like Jesus did. He's going to go, yeah, but okay, okay, that's me. But what about him? Is he going to die too? Because I'd really like to know that he dies too. Well, how come when I'm doing right, things don't go my way, but I see them doing right and everything works for them? You know, one of the deals, one of the things, the the toughest things that I deal with with people in this church, in this grouping of people, is the ones who say, I thought I was doing the right thing, but apparently I'm not connected enough at your church, or I don't have enough money, or I don't have the right kind of name, or I don't, or I don't, or I don't, and so um, I don't fit in with this grouping of people. And I'm going, where did that come from? We love you. But what we do repeatedly, the enemy gets to us every single time by saying, let's measure you against the people around you. Because if everything's going right, then it should turn out the same for all of you. And that's not the truth. In the text, he says, Peter, if it's my will, he might live forever. But I'm telling you what's going to happen with you. And I'm telling you what your job is. And I'm telling you what your responsibility is. So I'm going to remind us as a church tonight, let's remember the only thing that we can control is our response to our salvation through Jesus Christ. I can't control my neighbor. I can't control my friends. I can't control the outcomes. I can't even control if I tell the message the way that I've heard it, that people are going to respond positively to it. And Jesus says, yep, that's exactly what I need you to know. You're not in control. And the outcomes won't happen the same way for everybody. But I still love you. I love you as much as I did when I filled your nets the first time. And I love you right now as much as I did before you ever sat at that first charcoal fire and denied me to the people around you. And the final message in this book is Jesus did so many amazing things that if you were to write them all down, all the books in all the world couldn't contain them. And here's why. It wasn't that he had that much time in every day to just go around knocking out miracles. It happened like this. He changed my life. So my family's going to be different and their family and their people and the multi, multi, multiples of where that goes couldn't contain all the stories of people who've been free because of the gospel message. Jesus is active. He is alive and he's at work on our behalf. So what's vivid? What's the big idea? Is that I will never see the world the same way again once I've recognized the resurrection of my Savior. We should be able to see it through his perspective. And I guarantee you, After that breakfast on the shore, every single one of those guys looked at the world a whole lot different. So where do we go with that? Here's my challenge to us as a church. Easter should be our starting point. 
our renewal point that says, from this point forward, I'm going to be who I say I am. And everybody's going to know it. Not in a crazy, braggadocious way, but in a way that says, I'm not afraid to live for him because I know he died for me. Let's pray together. Father, I come before you right now and I thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your mercy and I thank you for the way that you have guided us through your story. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of your greater story and thank you for the opportunity we have to be the people who carry your message, the message of freedom, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray in your good name that tonight you would work in us and through us and you would allow us to experience you in a new and a fresh way. That we would see the world vividly and excitedly in living color because you have come and rescued your people. Father, we submit to you. And in just these few moments, I always want to lead us to a time where you can respond independently to the Lord in whatever way. And for some of you, this may just been an encouraging word and maybe not super life-changing, but, but a reminder that He has forgiven you. Because in order to do the work, we have to remember how much we've been forgiven. And when we live in that, we have the energy, the ability, and the eyesight, the vision to go and do what He's called us to do. And you might be here tonight and you've never received the Lord as your Savior. Last week we had a couple people who wrote down on cards that they received the Lord for the very first time and it happened like this. In this prayer time, I'm going to give you a moment just between you and God and your prayer between you and Him would look like this. Dear God, make me yours. I submit to your authority in my life. Be my one God. I choose to receive the gift of Jesus Christ. I know I've made mistakes. I know I have a lot of problems that I've created. I surrender my life to you. God, be my one God. Bring me home. It might not be your prayer tonight. Maybe you've received the Lord, but maybe the greater prayer for many of us tonight is, God, I surrender again my life to you. Help me to be able to see in living color the things that you have in front of us. The things that you have for me to do. What is your will and your way so that we can do your work? I surrender my life to you. I want to be on mission for you and seeing at every turn what you have for me. In these moments, would you just go to the Lord and let's pray together and then we're going to close in worship. So how do we respond? What do we do after Easter? We recognize that we've been forgiven. We've been, we recognize that every day He is risen indeed. And we live with that fact in our hearts and every bit of our lives. So I want to challenge you this week. Live that out. Maybe it's you waking up in the morning and, and keeping a little journal to yourself, put in your phone or something, of the things that you know that you've been forgiven for. When you start with the things that you know that God has forgiven you for, maybe you need to code them out so that nobody finds that list. I don't know. 
Some of you, like, we do have police around here and stuff too. But, uh, but, but the bigger piece is when you write those things down and you recognize these are the places God has been at work in my life and the places he has restored, it changes the way you do things. Instead of just one day to the next, to the next, to the next, and all of a sudden it's Friday, what if we intentionally said, God, before my feet hit the ground this morning, will you use me? Will you use me? Will you allow me to be your vessel? I want to do, I want to see it in living color. And would your testimony of 2017 until next Easter be that from this day forward you saw in living color the God who rescued, the God of miracles who's redeemed. So would you hold out your hands to receive the blessing and head into this dinner time and this week? May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. And may his face shine upon you. And may his glory surround you. And the presence of his Holy Spirit guide you this week to do more, to do greater things than you could ever have imagined. But would his great name be on your lips every minute of the day as we look to this world in living color?